I've written before that, you know, evangelicalism is one of the most hated sects in America, and it is. And the reason is because of their uh, narrow-mindedness, their hatefulness. They have Bible verses for everything. So there are explanations for why they believe the things that they do. And, and I think atheists need to remember that. This is Glass City Humanist, a show about humanism, humanist values, by a humanist. Here is your host, Douglas Berger. Bruce Guerin, sir, knows something about evangelical Christians. He pastored evangelical churches for 25 years in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. He left the ministry in 2005, and in 2008, he left Christianity. Bruce is now a humanist and an atheist. We talked to him about his journey to free thought, and we get his intimate insights about evangelical Christians and why we need to be wary of them. Glass City Humanist is an outreach project of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. Our guest today is Bruce Gerenser. He's uh, pastored in evangelical churches for 25 years in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. Bruce left the ministry in 2005, and in 2008, he left Christianity. Bruce is now a humanist and an atheist. He lives in rural Northwest Ohio with his wife of 43 years, and uh, he and his wife have six grown children and 13 grandchildren. His website, The Life of Ties of Bruce Gerritzer, is interesting for its tales of being an independent fundamentalist Baptist pastor, cautionary as he explains in detail how interpretations of the Bible were used to support and expand a patriarchal society, and hopeful as Bruce documents his journey to free thought. Thank you for joining us today, Bruce. Thank you for having me, Doug. Uh, the first question uh, a lot of people ask a former minister is, was there a specific event or incident that led you to free thought, or was it just a gradual shift over time? Uh, well, I can answer that. Yes, there was a, a gradual process, uh, you know, over a period of three years, uh, approximately. But there also was a place where I realized finally that I could no longer, uh, you know, meaningfully uh, call myself a Christian. Um, and that came after, uh, first of all, uh, coming to the conclusion that the Bible was was not inerrant, it wasn't infallible, and that was the foundation upon which my uh, entire uh, faith was built upon. And so once that authority was lost, uh, then it allowed me, the, I had the freedom then to uh, examine uh, the central claims of Christianity, the things that I said I believed, and uh, over time, I came to a conclusion that those claims, you know, like the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, the supernatural, you know, miracles that Christ did in the Bible. And I just came to the conclusion those things simply were not true. And so it was a process. But then there, you know, I, I guess there was that that moment when, when I had that born again experience, you know, <laughs> where I says, you know what, I just don't believe this anymore. You know, and that was, you know, the end of my faith at that moment. And about how long of time frame was that from when you had that conclusion to when you finally did just completely break away from it? 
Well, I, I left the ministry in 2005, and so that kind of set things in motion bit by bit. But, but, but it was really, you know, 2007, 2008, so a little less than two years uh, before I finally came to the place where I admitted that I was no longer a believer and that I was, in fact, at, at that moment, I says, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm agnostic on the God question. And so uh, the last uh, time uh, we attended church uh, was in the last Sunday in November of 2008. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and that was it. And then I, uh, I don't know, sometime early in 2009, I, after constantly explaining myself, explaining to others what an agnostic was, I decided, you know, really I'm an atheist. And so I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with you know if I have to self-label myself, uh, uh, you know I'm an agnostic atheist, and so I'm I'm comfortable with with that, and so um, and then then it became very clear to people, uh, you know exactly what I was. You know it seemed when, as long as I used the agnostic label, uh, people just weren't clear on what I meant, especially my wife's uh, very. Uh, devout uh, fundamental ba- fundamentalist Baptist family, uh, but when I said atheist, they they understood very clearly <laughs> what I meant. So now, uh, when you gave your talk to our uh, group meeting uh, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, I think it was a week ago. Yeah, um, week you ago, were me- mentioning about how you had moved around a lot as a kid. Um, do you think that that constant moving around? Uh, especially, you know, when you were a kid in, in the ministry, do you think that helped you leave religion because you were exposed to a lot of different people? Well, I, I that's, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I was, I just, uh, just wrote a post for my blog about uh, trauma and how I, I've really just, recently come to the conclusion that, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, trauma in my life, uh, extensive trauma, and s- especially in a five-year period in my life in the late 60s and the early 70s, and, um, you know, and how deeply that affected me. A- and moving was a part of that. Uh, for example, you know, in that five-year period, we, we moved numerous times, and, you uh, and went to numerous schools. Uh, went to school in uh, uh, Nay and uh, Farmer and Deschler and and uh, Finley and Mount Blanchard and then out in Arizona and then back to Finley and uh, so uh, that certainly was a lot of upheaval in my life. Now, uh, did it? Did that help me? Uh, uh, as far as uh, the deconversion process, uh, maybe I, I do know that um, you know a- after I left the ministry, and then for that three-year period before I finally you know said I was no longer a believer, uh, we we attended a lot of churches, and so I I was exposed to a lot of different uh, religious beliefs and practices and. And pastors and people and uh, 
And that fit well with, look, if that fell with, I'm a very restless person to start with. I, uh, Wanderlust has been a, uh, a label that uh, my counselors have over the years have used to describe me. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, I think that, that played into my, uh, the deconversion process. Uh, I, I've, I've never been a person where, uh, for example, uh, my wife's late uncle, he was a pastor for 50 years, for example, and he prided himself in, he had the same beliefs uh, uh, 50 years later than he, as he had when he started college, for example. His beliefs had never changed. And, uh, and I think family took that as some kind of uh, a great achievement where I thought, well, I've never been that way. <laughs> you know, uh, my whole life has been a moving, uh, moving target to some degree. And because I'm restless, but also because uh, truth uh, matters to me. And so when I'm, and even as a Christian, when I was, uh, you know, I'd be studying the Bible and various things. And if I came to a new theological conclusion, I wasn't afraid to uh, abandon uh, one belief, you know, and uh, assume another. And so uh, all of that together, I, I think, Personality-wise, I think uh, uh, probably made it easier for me to to walk away because i i wasn't afraid I wasn't afraid to say, you know what, I'm on the wrong path or I don't believe this anymore. And uh, and some people aren't willing to do that. And I and I know it's hard for harder for some people. And uh, but I don't know for me, it's whether. <laughs> Whether it's become an atheist or or buying a new car, you know when I've come to when I've come to a place where I I know what I need to do, I, I'm not gonna you know sit there any longer. I'm gonna make the decision and and uh, live with the consequences that come from that. And you touched about you touched on this too at the meeting, um, but could you uh, let us know again what was the reaction that you got from your friends and family after learning you had become an atheist? Um, it was, uh, overwhelming, uh, hostile, uh, you know, psychologically violent, uh, nasty, hateful. Uh, how many words can I use to describe, uh, the response? Uh, uh, as I mentioned at, at the meeting, uh, last week, uh, in early 2009, I, I wrote a letter, uh, titled, uh, Dear family, friends, and former parishioners, and I s- sent that out to uh, several hundred uh, people uh, who knew me, and uh, from you know uh, family members that many of them were pastors, missionaries, and you know, and then to former church members, and certainly uh, uh, men that were colleagues of mine in the ministry. And, uh, and I explained very clearly why, you know, uh, I no longer believed. And, uh, and boy, that, that provoked just an immediate uh, response. And I got phone calls. I got uh, emails. I got letters in the mail. Uh, I had one man, you know, drive from Lancaster, Ohio up here. And uh, uh, he, you know, he spent three hours trying to convince me that I, I just needed to turn back and, 
you know, what I needed to do in his mind was if I just <laughs> if I just started pastoring a church again, all this unbelief of mine would go away. And uh, uh, and you know, I tried to remind him that look, if I wanted to pastor, I could do so tomorrow. You know that you know there are plenty of churches looking for pastors, and so uh, you know that wasn't the issue. And we and we we he he just pleaded with me to uh, you know not go down this path, and uh, you know, and then when he when he he came to the conclusion that. I wasn't going to change my mind about these things. Then he told me, he, he asked me to please not tell anybody about me walking away from Christianity because he believed that that would cause untold harm to people who knew me. And, uh, and of course, you know, I couldn't do that. But the, you know, the saddest thing about all of this man had been my friend for 20, 20 some years. Uh, I was his pastor, uh, you know, before he got into the ministry, I baptized him and, uh, you know, and, and we spent countless hours together and, uh, you know, and we would always, uh, you know, when we were done for the night, whatever we're doing, we would shake hands and go our way. And, and when he when he left my home, um, he wouldn't shake my hand. And it was such a small thing, but I thought, really, you know. And uh, you know, it that of course ended our friendship. And uh, you know, I saw him uh, one more time uh, uh, years later. Uh, I former uh, family in the church I pastored at uh, the the man died and they asked me to uh, preach the funeral. And I did, uh, you know, as long as they knew that I wasn't a preacher anymore. And, and, you know, I had, I had a lot of stories I could share about this man and, and I did. And, and, and uh, you know, that this former pastor friend of mine came to the funeral and, uh, and I could just tell the disappointment on his face, you know, how, how saddened he was at what had become of me. And, uh, not much I can do about that. Yeah, you're wasting uh, you know, your talents. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, and and with close family, uh, boy, it's been difficult. Uh, we had to stop going to uh, Polly's family's uh, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and things like that because the, you know, the it just became so problematic and difficult because of how people viewed us. And, and so we basically cut those things out and now we go down and see Polly's mom. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when other families not there, you know, that's, and that seems to have worked well for us, but look, we miss, we miss those, uh, family, uh, connections. I mean, uh, our nephews and, and our, uh, and their children, you know, we've, we watched them grow up and, uh, were, and when they were born and, and all of those things. And so it's difficult, but unfortunately, be, because they're all independent fundamentalist Baptists, uh, there's no room in their world for people like, you know, my wife and I. And so, uh, we just stay away. It's one of those, as it, it became the price of admission for us if we were going to, you know, stick to 
you know, being uh, atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, whatever labels put upon us. So, yeah, I remember when I was in college, and well, it wasn't even college; it was at, shortly after college, and I got involved with a humanist group. And I went home uh, for Christmas. My grandparents were having Christmas, and I had my humanist shirt on at Christmas. And my grandma, she says, Doug, does that mean you're, you're a heathen? And I was like, <laughs> well, not really. And she says, so you don't celebrate Christmas? And I'm like, no, I can celebrate Christmas. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm, I'm not a, a, an evil person or anything like that. I'll, I'll take the gifts. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, yes. I just I just told her, I said, I just don't go for the religious aspect of it. And she seemed fine with that. So, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I we've had in over time, there's been a couple uh, f- younger family members who have made some contact with me, uh, you know, very low key, you know, and I've tried to, you know, maintain those contacts. I got to tell you, the worst experience I had was uh, uh, the man who was my best friend when I was in Southeast Ohio, a young guy about 10 years or so younger than me. And, uh, uh, you know, he was first getting started in the ministry and I helped him, you know, get going and everything. And, uh, and boy, when he found out about it, he sent me a scathing email, you know, uh, accused me of being under the influence of Satan, of being mentally ill, and that I was destroying my family. And, uh, you know, and my response to him was, hey, Keith, how about ask me how I'm doing? We haven't talked in ages, you know, but instead he went right for the jugular. And uh, it was so disappointing. And, uh, you know, and, and so I've lost, you know, all those connections, you know, they're gone. You know, I've had to forge, you know, new relationships and my wife has had to do the same. And uh, and that's been a struggle, you know, at, at our age to, you know, to have to make new friends and, you know, make new connections with people. And but uh, it's it remains a work in progress for us. And that kind of leads into my next question. Uh, knowing what you know now and how it went, uh, do you regret leaving religion? No, no, no. (laughs) I, I can say that I, there have been times I've regretted sending out the letter, uh, because it was kind of like the rip off the bandaid approach and, you know, stand naked before the world and, you know, everyone can see, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, I still probably would have sent out the letter, but but certainly I would at least think about that a little bit more. But no, I don't. I don't have any any regrets. Uh, you know, I, I miss certain aspects of uh, you know the ministry and and religion. You know, and uh, look, I spent most of my adult life, uh, you know, preaching and teaching. I miss those aspects of that and. Uh, you know, I, I miss the communal aspects of religion, you know, and, uh, and that's, a, and that, as you know, you know, uh, with the group you're a part of that, that's a common experience that people have when they leave religion. They miss the fellowship dinners, the potlucks, the, 
the social aspects, you know, and uh, and so those are not easy as easily replicated for humanists and atheists, and uh, and it's certainly something that we could uh, do much better uh, with. Oh, and, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely. Do you like what you hear? Would you like to support the show so we can make it better? You can write a review for podcast apps that allow reviews. You can share our website, glasscityhumanist.show, with your friends. And you can donate to the show using the donate link on the website. Any support is appreciated. Uh, one, of, one of the common stereotypes of evangelicals that we have on this side of, of the line is that they tend to be narrow-minded and very judgmental. Uh, was that the case in your experience when you were working in the ministry? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, the, the question is, is why are they that way? And I think that that's, look, I was as narrow-minded and judgmental and bigoted and at times homophobic and uh, as, as one could be. I smiled when I did it. I was a kind of an affable fella and got along with people, but make no mistake about it. My beliefs were very narrow. And, uh, but, but the reason that people have those beliefs is because for the most part, evangelicals are raised in evangelical homes and they're, they are, uh, socially conditioned. They are indoctrinated uh, in, in these teachings. And so it just becomes from an early age, a part of their life. And, uh, and some of those people then go on to become, uh, pastors and missionaries and evangelists and whatnot. And so they carry those beliefs into the ministry. And so, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've written before that, you know, evangelicalism is one of the most hated sects in America and it is. And the reason is because of their uh, narrow-mindedness, their hatefulness, their, you know, at least what, as it's perceived by people outside of the bubble that they're in. In, in their world, you know, uh, LGBTQ people deserve the death penalty because the Bible says so. Uh, abortion is a sin because, you know, God said, you know, life begins at conception. And, and so they... They have Bible verses for everything. So there are explanations for why they believe the things that they do. And, and I think atheists need to remember that. It's not that they're stupid people. It's not that they're, uh, you know, you know the, they're sociopaths who, who just despise uh, human beings. It's just that their religious beliefs have them, you know, boxed in. Uh, I remember writing a post years ago, which was uh, one of the most widely read uh, posts on my blog is, uh, you know, uh, what I found when I left the box. And, uh, and I talked about the fact that, you know, I was in a, this box, evangelicalism. And, and within that box, everything made perfect sense. Uh, you know, uh, I read, I read the right books. I listened to the right sermons and, and I followed the right rules and, and practices and believed the right things. And so, so internally, it all makes sense to you. 
It's only when you get outside of that box, or sometimes I call it a bubble, uh, it's only when you get outside of that box that you realize that, no, this, do this doesn't make any sense, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and so for me, I had to, you know, I had to relearn a lot of things, you know, because, Doug, I got to tell you, I was, <laughs> I was quite homophobic in my uh, preaching days, my younger preaching days in particular, and un unapologetically so. And, uh, you know, and so I, that required substantial uh, psychological and emotional work for me to, to undo all of that. And uh, not easy, uh, to say the least. And uh, uh, now, of course, those that are still in evangelicalism who know me, they take that as a sign of how far I've fallen down the, the <laughs> rabbit hole, right. you know, because I... You know, I I think gay people are are human beings like everybody else. <laughs> so. Now, uh, do you think that there's any common ground that uh, humanists and evangelicals can find to work together on? I mean, is there any chance of finding common ground? Uh, yes, yeah. Now, evangelicalism is a spectrum. So if you're talking about the far right uh, end of the evangelical tent, then, then no. I don't see, uh, when you talk about the realm of where the independent fundamentalist Baptists and uh, charismatics and, you know, and some of the uh, very right-wing sects inhabit, really there's, there's just no common ground. You know, you take for abor on abortion, for example— you know, when you when one side of the of the discussion starts with, if you believe in abortion, you're promoting murder. You know, it's kind of hard to find any common ground with somebody like that. But there is within evangelicalism, you can move more towards the left. There's the what I call the uh, the Sojourners group, for example, and uh, uh, Jim Wallace and. Uh, and other groups like that, uh, Ron Sider and uh, uh, others, that uh, they are much more progressive in their uh, social views, for example. And yes, uh, with those evangelicals, uh, certainly there's, uh, there's room to work collectively uh, for the common good. Um, you know, in the same way it would go for, you know, when you're, when you're on the far right end of evangelicalism, you know, everybody believes the earth is 6,024 years old and was created in six literal 24-hour days. Not much you can do with that, you know, but the farther left you move with any evangelicalism, you're going to find people who believe in theistic evolution, and you might even find some people that just flat believe in evolution. And so if that's the case, then, then you have a common ground uh, on which to, to work with them on like, you know, science in the public schools and, you know, and things like that. So uh, I, I try to look for, for common ground when I'm interacting with evangelicals. And uh, unfortunately, uh, my blog uh, tends to attract those that are on the extreme right of evangelicalism. And sometimes I have to remind myself that, that they, they don't represent 
all evangelicals. And, uh, and I know several evangelical pastors in this area here that are, you know, they think I'm going to, you know, go die and go to hell. But, you know, m- most all of them believe that. But uh, at least they're nice, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they'll say it with a smile on their face. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. This is Glass City Humanist. Uh, in recent weeks, we've seen a storm of Christian nationalism trying to legislate LGBTQ kids out of existence and preventing kids from learning about racism in school. Uh, do you have any suggestions on what we can do to counteract that assault? <laughs> or do you have any ideas? Well, I hope one of my one of the things that irritates me about uh, the media in general is the fact that they 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 either don't or refuse to see the fact of how how those type of things are 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 driven uh, by uh, religion. Uh, you know, who's, who are the people behind, uh, these don't say gay bills and whatnot? Well, it's primarily evangelicals and, uh, you know, conservative Catholics and Mormons. That's who, that's who's behind those things. And so, uh, the problem becomes is that, at least from my perspective, is that, um, uh, these groups for the most part have abandoned the gospel as being the means for social transformation. Uh, uh, I trace it back to 19, late 1970s when uh, uh, Jerry Falwell and uh, Paul Weirich uh, founded the Moral Majority. And uh, I remember in 1980, you know, going to a, a I Love America rally on the uh, steps of the Capitol in Columbus. And uh, and Jerry Falwell was there, and hit, and the, and the singers from Liberty, and you know what a uh, wonderful experience within the context of my evangelical faith, and um, you know, so I tr- I trace it from there. And what's happened is, is that uh, the baby birthed in the late seventies has now become a full grown uh, person, and uh, and what's happened is, is that they've they've traded the gospel. Uh, as being a means for social transformation for raw political power as the means for social transformation. And so we're seeing that across uh, uh, the board on whether it's LGBTQ issues, abortion, uh, mark my word, uh, you know, they're going to roll back Roe v. Wade here, you know, next month. And, uh, uh, and they're not done. Uh, you know, they've got their sights on uh, reversing same-sex marriage. And uh, uh, and so, you know, what do we do? Uh, I, I don't see any other uh, way of combating that except, you know, through the courts, number one, and number two, through the political process. But as you know, living in, in Northwest Ohio, Doug, uh, you know, we don't have much political clout, if any. You know, we're, uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, uh, a liberal atheist where I live is like uh, an ivory bill, you know, a woodpecker. You know, they're so rare uh, that, you know, 
few of them exist. And, uh, you know, and I don't know how it was where you live, but, you know, almost seven out of 10, uh, you know, people here voted for Donald Trump, both in 2016 and 2020. They routinely uh, support candidates that are uh, e- extreme in their social views. And uh, and so, you know, what do we do? Uh, you know, it's the, uh, we vote, but it seems almost at this point anyways, to be an exercise in futility because, you know, we make up such a small part of the electorate. Um, I try well, to. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't help too, that they've gamed the system. Yeah. Yes. To, to, to privilege themselves. So. Yeah. The, the gerrymandering this, that continues to go on, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, they've made it almost impossible to elect people that are not of their, of their, their stripe. And, uh, you know, and so all, all I know to do personally is to uh, publicize, uh, you know, these issues. And uh, I write letters to the editor. I use my blog and uh, social media to try to uh, make people aware of these things. Now, yeah, that, yeah that's I'm what not, our group does, too, is yeah, make people aware now, of these things. If you ask me how successful that is, uh, I don't know. You know, uh, I can get pretty uh, discouraged at times about the current state of things. But I do on occasion hear from people that are very much in the closet, you know, uh, as far as their more liberal progressive views or even who are who are gay. And, and, and they appreciate the fact that I'm willing to speak for them. And uh, so I, I take that as encouragement to, you know, keep at it. Because I know that, you know, when I do write about these things and talk about them, it irritates the daylights out of uh, God's chosen ones. And uh, <laughs> I've <laughs> uh, gotten a lot of mail over the years and uh, responses to my letters to the editor and, uh, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, personal attacks, character assassination one guy said I was never a pastor and he, he could prove it and uh, all, all sorts of things, you know, just crazy stuff. And uh, uh, so I, I wish, Doug, I had some uh, promising thing I could say here that how we're going to fix this. And all I know is to do is just keep pushing back. You know, I, I think to some degree we're, uh, you know, we're, we're reaping what we sowed as far as some political choices we made. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and certainly because of the, the, you know, uh, three Trump appointees on the Supreme court, uh, that certainly, you know, they seem hell bent on, uh, on rolling, uh, progress, you know, the progress we've gained over the last 50 years, uh, you know, back and, uh, you know, for example, the, the, uh, praying coach, you know, at the 50 yard line. And, uh, I mean, I, there's no doubt that they're going to, uh, uh, you know, roll that back. Yeah. Even though it should be a moot case, they shouldn't even taken it. You know, no. And that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, that's exactly it's right. the fact that they took it 
know, you know, that's what they want to do. And, and, and this was a complaint. I had a complaint. I don't know if I sent it into the blade or I complained to one of the national religious group, uh, like freedom from religion or something. But, uh, when, uh, Matt Campbell was a football coach at UT, at university of Toledo, they had a video up in their YouTube channel of him leading a prayer in the locker room after a game. And I complained about it and they had to issue a statement. The school had to issue a statement that it wouldn't happen again. And he was so mad about it. (laughs) It's like, that's what, that's what I explained to him in my letter that uh, uh, somebody on a team who wants to play, is going to do whatever the coach wants them to do. Right. It's not voluntary. It's not. I played football in high school. If you wanted yes. to play, you had to do what the coach told you. Yeah, absolutely. If the coach says, gather around, let's pray, you're going to gather around and you're going to pray whether you want to or not. Yeah, I, and, I, and you're right because, you know, I played uh, baseball and basketball in high school and, and – uh, I don't ever remember there being an option of <laughs> of saying no to what the coach wanted to do, you know, or, or even the fact of just the peer pressure that, hey, you know, my friends are over here and uh, they're bowing their heads for this. Well, I don't want to be singled out. You know, look, right. most high school kids don't want to be singled out. And uh, and so you join with a group. And so it, it really is coercion is what it is. And uh but I just, you know, I listened to some of the, I uh, read about some of the uh, uh, speeches and, and the uh, deliberations about this case. And after listening to some of the questions and stuff, I thought, this is not going to go well. It's no, unfortunate. It's Unfortunately. And uh, as we uh, wrap up our time together, um, is there any bit of wisdom or final point you would like to leave us with? That's a good question. <laughs> oh, you, now this one caught me off guard. Uh, I uh, I tell people on my blog that that look, uh, you only get one. I have a and I, I can't quote it. I, I wish I had known this question. I, I I could read it off, but I I you know I have you know if I have advice to give to anybody, look, you you only have one life. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no God. There's, uh, uh, you know, this is it. And so uh, you best uh, get to living what, what life you have. And uh, I have serious health problems. And uh, I know that uh, my uh, time on life, on this life, in this life is, I'm on the short end of the, of, of, of time. And so I, uh, I'm doing in my life, you know, all the things that I want to do while I'm still living. Cause I know when I'm dead, you know, it's too late for that. And, you know, and so I encourage people, I encourage my children, I encourage my grandchildren, look in, enjoy life and uh, don't be afraid of new experiences. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's the best advice that I can give to anybody uh, is to do those things. Okay. Well, again, I want to thank you for your time and appreciate you speaking with us both at the meeting and today and, and good luck. All right. 
we shall we want to do this again. I'm more than up for it, Doug. Thank okay. you. All right. Thank you for listening. For information about the topics in this episode, please visit the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. Glass City Humanist is an outreach of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie and is supported in part by a grant by the American Humanist Association. The AJ can be reached at AmericanHumanist.org. Sholey can be reached at HumanistsWLE.org. Glass City Humanist is hosted, written, and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is solely responsible for the content. Our theme music is Glass City Jam, composed using the Amplify Studio. See you next time.